We are going to be in Hebrews chapter 12 today. Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 1 and 2. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, at least the first portion of verse 2. If you were here last week, you'll know that Aaron actually took us into chapter 12 and, uh, and touched on these verses and, and did a great job, I think. Um, but we're going to look at them a little bit deeper now, a little bit more specifically with what the author is having to say here to us in uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, and we're doing so because Aaron said I was going to last week. So uh, I'm obligated now to preach to you Hebrews chapter 12. But it's a, it's a privilege. And there is so much, if you're familiar with these two verses, there is so much wrapped up in these two verses uh, that we are actually going to spend this week and next week in these two verses. And so hopefully you will be blessed by what the Holy Spirit teaches us through Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. With that being said, if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord, we come today to your word. And Lord, we ask that as we come today that you would humble us. If we're honest with ourselves, Lord, we know that pride is ever present in our hearts. And Lord, we know the corrupting nature of pride in everything that we do, even in our study of your word. And so, Lord, we ask today that you would root out pride and that we would see what you have to say to us this morning from the book of Hebrews. And Lord, we might be challenged, that we might be encouraged, and Lord, most of all, that you might be glorified in us, both individually and corporately. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you see my title, which is on the screen there, um, and I don't know if you recognize the reference I'm trying to make, but yes, it is cheesy, and it is, in fact, a reference to Forrest Gump. Uh, this is a sermon about running a race, about running, running well. Uh, why would we not reference uh, Forrest Gump in this sermon? Forrest Gump, I think, is, a, is an interesting example um, to look at with regards to running. He's an interesting example because... There has never been depicted uh, a more intense, a more dedicated, a more faithful runner than Forrest Gump himself. And if you remember from the movie, in, in the movie when Forrest Gump is a child and his, his braces fall off as he is outrunning the, uh, the bullies on their bikes, and he's narrating the situation and he says, from that day on, everywhere I went, I was running. Forrest Gump was dedicated to the task and, as he saw it, the joy and the privilege of running to the point that later on in his life, he basically dedicated his life to running, did nothing but run. He ran and ran and ran. Well, when he got hungry, he did eat, and when he got tired, he did sleep, of course, but never did take time to shave or, or clean himself up. But what we see from Forrest Gump 
is an example of what it looks like to run, at least for a time. And as much as I think we can look at Forrest Gump and, and gain some, some valuable insights, there are some differences between the way Forrest Gump ran and the way we are called to run. Because why is it that Forrest Gump ran? What was his purpose in running? This is what everyone wanted to know. I mean, people were following this guy. They were running behind him. People were coming and asking him, why are you doing this? And he didn't really have a reason. He just was running. Yet he was looked to as this great philosopher, this man who had, who had tapped into something. And yet all he was doing was running. He was running with no real purpose. Which is why one day, if you remember the movie, he was running and stopped and turned. And all of these followers I was like, oh, he's going to say something. He's going to speak. What's he going to say? Expecting some great lofty speech of, of grandeur, of some enthusiastic, some encouraging word, life-changing message. And he said, I'm, I'm pretty tired. I think I'm going to go home now. What we see from Forrest Gump is that, yes, he was an, an avid runner. Yes, for a time he, he ran Faithfully, he ran steadily, he ran with endurance, and yet we see that ultimately his running was purposeless. It was without meaning. And so with that, we see our, our sermon today cannot be too closely related or, or based on the life of Forrest Gump, but rather take his example and see the better alternative of what it looks like to run the Christian race as we are called to do here in Hebrews chapter 12. My objective this morning as we look at this text is to do three things. The first thing I hope to do today is to impress upon you the call to run that the Lord has put on our lives. The second thing I hope to do is to answer the question, how do we run? How do we live out this calling? And the third thing that I hope to do today through this passage is to emphasize the end to which we are to run the goal, the purpose with which we are to run. And in order to do that, we're going to take this passage and we're going to break it down into, into three bites in order to examine more closely the call that we are given here in Hebrews chapter 12. So we start with this first line of our passage. Therefore, remember when you see the word therefore, what should you ask? What is it therefore? That's right. If you remember from last week, Aaron uh, expounded just so wonderfully, uh, made, made clear the argument that the author was making when he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. As Aaron teached us last week, the argument that the author is making to the readers, what he is leading us to, is that the right conclusion after reading about all these Old Testament saints throughout Hebrews chapter 11 and the faith by which they walked, the faith by which they endured so much, by which they did such great things, and then see what conclusion we are to draw. I don't think that there's any reason to, to belabor what Aaron has already said last week, but I would remind us briefly of the purpose of the Holy Spirit's statement here, the purpose of which he directs our attention back to what he has said in Hebrews chapter 11. He has reminding us of these figures that he just spent a whole chapter going through saying, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, since we have looked and seen all these faithful men and women of the faith, 
and how they have run and how they have run well and how they have persevered and how they have been brought to the end, even not seeing the promises that they were granted fulfilled. And yet they ran so well and ran and endured and were brought through to the end. This statement that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses is an important statement. And I think there are, there are some who, who would disagree on what the author is, is saying here. There are two kind of ideas of what he means when he says that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And I'm just going to put my cards on the table and say what I think uh, the author is saying here is not that this passage means that we are essentially being watched, that we are, are performing this race with an audience member of former saints, those who have passed away, those who have come before us are now watching us in this arena of life competing and running the race. I don't, I don't think that that would be an appropriate application of this text, of what he's saying here. And I know for me personally, I don't think that when I am with the Lord Jesus Christ uh, at the end of the age, or after I die, whichever comes first, I don't think I'm going to be all that concerned with, uh, with what is taking place here on this earth once I die. I don't think my, my attention is going to be to what my, my children or my friends or family are doing here on this earth. I think I'm going to be utterly consumed with the glory of Christ Jesus. I mean, what, what could possibly be happening down here that is so great that it would pull my attention away from Christ, right? And so, despite the fact that, uh, in addition, there, there really is no other uh, reference or indication throughout the New Testament that this is the case, that, that those who have gone and died before us are, are looking down on us, are, are watching over us. Now, if you believe that, that's okay. I'm not, I'm not condemning that as, as heresy, but I am saying I think there's something more that we can learn from this text. I think there's something more that is implied here. I think the, the witnesses that we have given to us here through the previous chapter are to serve for us as evidence to motivate us to run. More specifically, I think they serve as witnesses to the power of faith. And when I say witnesses, I mean witnesses in the sense more of a courtroom setting. That when witnesses are brought in, they are brought in, why? They are brought in to be produced as evidence of a defense or of an accusation. So then, the author of Hebrews has just presented for us a whole chapter of evidence of why and how we are to run the race. He says, therefore, consider all this evidence, all these witnesses, witness after witness after witness on the stand, testifying to the fact that God is faithful, that the promises are true. In light of all this, wit all this evidence, all these witnesses, what are we to do as we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses? We are to run the race that is set before us. We are to run. This is what we have been called to. Running the Christian race. This is one of many analogies that, that the Apostle Paul and the other New Testament writers use to demonstrate, to illustrate for us the Christian life. And it's one that we can relate to even if you are not an avid race runner in here. The race that is set before us is the Christian life, which, by the way, is much 
harder and longer than any human race. If you've ever run a, a, a race, you'll know that there is a, a huge difference between a sprint and a distance race. My friend Tom found this out firsthand very, uh, uh, in a very unfortunate way. My buddy Tom, he, uh, he's since moved to Texas, but uh, he and I uh, both share a lot of uh, kind of a competitive nature. We both love to, to run. We both love to compete. We both love to uh, play sports. And so even well into our college careers, it was not uncommon for us to say, hey, I'll race you to that tree up there for no reason other than just to race one another. And so we'd, we'd race and we'd sprint. And my buddy Tom, he's really tall. He's about six feet, maybe six three, uh, just a very tall guy, very lanky. And so almost every single time we would race, have a sprint race to some tree or something that we could see just right out in the distance, he would beat me almost every single time. He had to trip for something for me to beat him, or his asthma had to kick in, because that did happen sometimes. Every now and then, I would squeak out a victory over my buddy Tom. But then one time, Tom, along with me and a couple of my other friends who, uh, who really are more distance runners, decided he was going to compete with us in a 5K. And my buddy Tom, it was his first 5K ever. And the adrenaline was going. He was excited. He was up at the front line. He was like a dog at the end of a leash. He was ready to run. He was ready to go. And the horn went off, and there goes Tom. Boom! I mean, just took off. And he was killing it. He was right up there with the leaders, running like a, a five-and-a-half-minute mile. I mean, he was set up to win the race. He was just straight-up killing it until about 0.5 miles when I catch up to Tom and say, hey, Tom, how's it going? And he goes, oh, man. <laughs> and what ended up happening to Tom? You don't have to be a, a scientist to figure out what happened. He did terrible in the race. By the end of that 5K race, a three-mile race, which, which really, when you, when you think about it, three miles isn't all that long, but for a sprinter, three miles is an awfully long way. And he was completely gassed. And he got to that finish line, but he did so just barely. And he was walking when he got there. And he was holding his side when he got there. You see, Tom uh, did what, what so often we we do in our Christian life, and that is we mistake the Christian life for a sprint when actually it's a marathon. Not only is it a marathon, but it is a marathon that lasts longer than any race that you have ever experienced. It's not like Forrest Gump running just for the sake of running and then one day can just say, all right, I'm done, I'm tired, I'm going home. Those who do that are not running the Christian race. They have, as the author of Hebrews says, explained to us before, never actually been in the race. They might have been running alongside all the other runners, but they didn't have the bib. They weren't tagged. They weren't actually in the race. Their entry fee had never been made. Only those who are actually running the race of this Christian life have a chance at finishing. When we consider all of these who serve for us as witnesses, that the race can be run and that the race can be run well, we ought to ask the question, how were they able to do it? How is it that these saints in Hebrews 11 were able to run? And then we ought to do it exactly like that. Like Aaron said last week, the point is not that we fix our eyes on the saints of old, but rather that we realize what their motivation was, what their eyes were fixed on, and that we fix our eyes on that. 
and that would be Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of those promises. That is how these Old Testament saints were able to run well. Though they did not know the name of Jesus, they knew the promises of God. They knew the Messiah that was coming. They knew that all that was bad in this world was going to be made right. And therefore, they set their eyes on that and they ran well. That is what we need to run well. Not to focus our eyes on them, but to focus our eyes on what they focused on, Jesus Christ. And as I said, Aaron already covered that for us well. Last week, so I would encourage you to go listen to that sermon if you missed it. So now that we have seen that this race to which we are called, that it can be run, as we see from Hebrews 11, we get now into the instructions on how it is that we are to run it. The author goes on after saying that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. This is a necessary step for us to run the race and for us to run it well. It is necessary for anyone who is going to run the Christian race. This putting off, this laying aside of those things that would slow us down in running. Imagine just how foolish it would be to see a runner entering a race carrying all kinds of needless items. Carrying a laptop, a a briefcase, a backpack a curling iron, a a hairbrush. How foolish would that be? Well, you would first of all say, well, that person clearly is not planning on winning the race. That's no way to run. That's no way to run well. What do runners wear? What do they take with them when they intend on running a race and running to win? They take with them as little as they can. They, They wear as little as they can so that they would not experience any more weight, any more drag to slow them down in their race. That is what the author here is calling us to, to lay off weight, to lay off the sin that is slowing us down. You see, we sometimes walk around filled, burdened down by the baggage of our our sin. We look like a, a, a little preschooler coming home from school with all of his stuff. I picked up my boys from school the other day and man, it's just It's the cutest thing to see all these little kids wearing these backpacks that are as big as they are and walking around all cumbersome. And my son Nathan put his backpack on with all of his stuff in it and then bent over to get his lunchbox. And the poor guy was so top heavy and back heavy that his backpack flipped over and he just went right over, head over heels. That's what it looks like when we hold on to our weight and sin and try to run the race. It's foolishness. The text says, get rid of those things. Set yourself up to run the race well. So what then are those things that we are called to lay aside, to cast off those things that slow us down? Well, first of all, we are called to be laying down our sin. It is a constant refrain throughout the New Testament that Christians are to be mortifying their sin. They are to be putting to death the old man, the sin that clings so closely, the sin that dwells within us. To live the Christian life, to run the race well, is to be putting sin to death. We see this all throughout the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves of every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Cleanse ourselves of every defilement of the body. Romans 8.12-13 says, 
So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. To live the Christian life is to be pursuing holiness, is to be pursuing sanctification. I think too often we so separate justification and sanctification that we don't even consider the two in the same conversation. And yet what the Bible makes clear is that there has never been one who has been justified who is not also being sanctified. Such a Christian does not exist. How often do we consider this call, the call to holiness that is ours? How often do we examine ourselves and really consider the areas of our lives where sin still has a foothold? Because for many of us, this is not something that we consider often enough. I think we, we rightly so are so in, in love with the doctrine of justification. It is a beautiful, it is a great doctrine. We have a, a huge thousand-page book in our library dedicated solely to the doctrine of justification. It is a beautiful and right and great doctrine. But brothers and sisters, my hope is not that we would forsake the doctrine of sanctification in light of the doctrine of justification. It's a common accusation that is made by Roman Catholics that Christians believe that we can somehow live however we want after we come to faith. That we come to faith in Christ, we trust in Him, and now we can live however we want. And we are quick to to scoff at that and say, no, 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 that's not what we believe. We don't actually believe that you can just live however you want after you come to faith in Christ. But then in, in practice... Do we actually live as though we don't believe that? I think too often we don't. I think too often we are satisfied to abuse the grace that is ours in Christ Jesus, to abuse the freedom that is ours in Christ Jesus, and use it as an excuse for sin. And this is not a fun endeavor, to reflect on our lives and see what our lives would say about what we believe with regards to to sanctification and holiness. But for the sake of our calling, for the sake of our race and running it well, we have to examine ourselves. We have to ask these questions. Do our lives actually reflect what we believe about the gospel and about new life and about the transforming power of Christ? And the answer to these questions also might inform the answer that we give to the questions Paul asks in Romans 6 where he asked the, the great question, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Absolutely not. Rather, as Paul goes on to say, we are united to Christ in his death so that as he was raised from the dead, we too might walk in newness of life. We are to walk in a manner different from the old man, different from the world, different from who we used to be. As David Platt once asked, can we look different after encountering Jesus Christ in the gospel any more than we could look different after being hit by a Mack truck? I would say the answer is no. 
The impact of the gospel begins at our justification, but then continues on through the rest of our life until glorification. As we are progressively becoming more and more and more made into the image of Christ by the process of sanctification. In other words, to allow sin to remain and to continue in this contradiction, or to continue in sin, is a contradiction to walking in the new life that we have been granted. If we are to walk in newness of life as God has commanded us to do, not only commanded us to, but freed us up to do, has granted us to do, then we are to be putting to death the sin that indwells within us. That's why Paul says in verse 12 and 13 of chapter 6 in Romans, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been bought, brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. In other words, live in light of the reality that is true of you in Christ Jesus. But I think a part of the problem is that for many of us, I think we've gotten comfortable with our sin. The human heart is a very deceptive and wicked thing. Even to the point that we can be deceived by our own hearts. Deceived and to think that we don't have any sin that we struggle with. Sure, we might do this or that from time to time, but there's not really anything that's clinging to us, that's slowing us down in our race. I think we've though been deceived oftentimes and gotten too comfortable with our sin to the point that we don't even think of it as the problem that it really is. I think it is possible in the deception of our heart for sin to be like a, a tumor that shows up on a leg, a little, a little bump. And we see the bump, we see the, the growth, and we say, you know what? It's small. It's not that big a deal. Maybe it's even kind of cute. Gives my leg some character. And we think, it's fine. It's not bothering me. It's not slowing me down. I'm just going to let it go. And that tumor, that growth continues to grow, continues to expand. And we keep lying to ourselves, saying, it's not a problem. It's fine. Look, I'm still up. I'm still walking. I can even still run. But eventually, that tumor gets to the point that it's hard to tell where the tumor begins and the leg ends. And very quickly, we find that a, a tumor on our leg will slow us down in our race, will slow us down as we run. Brothers and sisters, the question we need to ask ourselves is, have we grown dull in our sensitivity to sin? This is a real threat. It is particularly a real threat in today's day and age. When everywhere around us, we are inundated with wickedness, with evil, with sin. We live in, a, in an evil and corrupt world. And I say this not to pr promote some sort of political ideology, but to say we need to recognize the reality that as Christians, we live in this world. And how can we do so and not be praying, not be asking that the Lord would keep us sensitive to sin, for it is so easy to become dull to it. It is so easy to become immune to the effect of sin on our conscience. If, and if this is the case, 
If we have believed the lie of Satan that sin in our life is not actually that big a deal, that the world just, everyone does this, it's okay to have this going on. We have believed the lie of Satan, and if this is true, then we are not running the race the way we ought to be. And so long as we hold on to our sin, we never will be. But don't accept that. Don't accept running the race subpar. Don't accept being weighed down and, and not actually performing well in the race. There is a temptation for Christians to say, well, hey, at least I'm in the race. That's all that matters. I don't really care how well I run. What does Paul say? Run so as to win the prize. In other words, do whatever is necessary to prep yourself, to make yourself able to run. And so we ought to be praying that the Lord would give us a renewed sensitivity towards sin, a renewed hatred for sin the way God hates sin, and pray for the grace to root it out of our lives, which, guess what? He promises to give us. The Lord will never leave us asking for help with our sin, asking to be cleansed of sin, asking for the power to do so, and say, no, I'm not going to give it to you. But rather... The Lord freely and graciously pours out the Holy Spirit upon all who ask, upon all who need it. The Bible is clear on how we are to remedy this. We are to confess our sin before God. To turn loose of that which is slowing you down and feel the relief of the freedom of grace. Reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, Paul says. Reckon yourselves dead to sin because that is true of you in Christ Jesus. Now live in light of it. But you might also have noticed that our text here in Hebrews doesn't just mention sin that slows us down, but also that there are other kinds of weight that can slow us down as well. That there are both sins and things that might not be sins, but that are Weights that slow us down from running the race and running it well. John Piper, as he preached a sermon on this text, he is, uh, I think, just said something so profound, and I want to quote to you what he says. He says, so often we ask the question, is it a sin? He says, don't ask that question. Don't ask, is it a sin? That's about the lowest question you can ask in life. Rather, the question we ought to ask is, does it help me run? I think we all are guilty of doing this, of sitting back and saying, is it a sin though? It might not help me run, but is it a sin? If so, it's okay. I can go ahead and do that thing. I can go ahead and, and live this way. But what Hebrews, what the Holy Spirit is calling us to here is to say that there are even some things that in and of themselves are not sinful, but slow us down. There are plenty of things in our lives, things that we fill our time with, that we spend our energy on, that are of no value to the Christian life and have no eternal significance. And it doesn't mean that these things are evil or sinful in and of themselves, but it does mean that there is a risk of these things becoming Weights of slowing us down in our race. And A.W. Pink makes the point to say, 
And in many cases, these things can quickly become sins because of how they hinder us. And there are all kinds of things. And if we are committed to running the race and running as those who are to win the prize, running with a purpose, then we need to ask ourselves, what are these things that are slowing us down? As your pastor, I'm willing to stand up here today and say there are things in my life that slow me down that I need to be rid of. Things like television. Has there ever been a greater time waster than television? Well, Facebook, probably. Television, Facebook, hobbies. None of the things I just mentioned are evil. I did not mention three immoral things just now. And yet I think if we're honest, we can all recognize that there have been at least times in our Christian lives when each one of these things, and, and maybe that time is now, maybe that time is right now in this season you're in where these things are slowing you down for your race. We don't have to think very hard about it. Add up the time you spend watching television and, and being on Facebook and participating in hobbies and compare that to the amount of time you spend reading God's word. Compare that to the amount of time that you spend in prayer, the amount of time that you spend discipling others, the amount of time you spend worshiping. In fact, take all those things together, add them up, and then compare them to the time you spend on those other things. And I would argue that for many of us, it is still outweighed. We are happy to carry these weights on our Christian race. And church family, it is a hard calling, but it is a calling we are given here to lay those things down to commit yourself to running the race well. It doesn't mean that we forfeit the duties that God has given us. It doesn't mean that there is no place for leisure or rest in the Christian life. There is. But it does mean that we at least need to be asking ourselves, are these things helping us run or are they hindering us? Are they slowing us down? And from there, we need to ask the question, are we satisfied with that? Ask yourself this question, am I committed to this race? And if so, how committed am I? Am I doing everything that I can do to run well or have I settled for a bad performance? Brothers and sisters, consider what you have been called to. Finally, the last portion of our text, the Holy Spirit says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. How is it that we can have endurance, endurance to run this race? How is it that we can patiently endure in the Christian life? I can tell you this much, and we can all attest to it. It's not by just talking ourselves into it. It's not even by just talking to a brother or sister in Christ and saying, hey, encourage me, tell me I'm awesome, tell me I'm great. That might give us a, a tiny bit of fuel to go just a, a few inches but rather how we are to endure in the race is by maintaining proper focus, by focusing on Christ. Just as all those saints from the Old Testament focused on the promises of God that were to come, we focus on the promises of God that have been fulfilled and have been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Looking to him as our example and as our hope. I ran just uh, earlier this month the Evansville Half Marathon. And for those of you who have already heard this story, I promise this is my last time saying it and my last time complaining. 
but the half marathon was brutal this last year. Why was it brutal? Because there was an accident that happened in the preparation. There was a, a lead motorcycle that was leading the race, and it was his job to direct us on the course that we were to go so that we would run the exact course and run 13.1 miles, which is a half marathon. And what happened was that this motorcycle, whether it was his fault or whoever put up the barricades, who knows, but he took a wrong turn. And all of the runners began running down the highway off course. And it was only after a mile and a half that it was realized, this isn't right. And someone came and alerted the leaders, and everyone began turning around and getting back onto course. But by then, what had happened? We had all already run an extra mile and a half. I only trained for 13.1 miles. 14.6 is not doable for me. It is out of the question. And that's what's going on in my head the whole time as I'm running. I can't do this. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm in trouble here. But you know what? I, I got back to the course and, and my adrenaline was pumping. And I thought, I've got to get back out in front of these slope pokes. I'm back here with the joggers and the walkers. And so I'm bobbing and weaving and I'm cutting up and I'm moving, feeling pretty good. And I get to about mile four and my phone tells me how fast I've been running. And all of a sudden the realization hits me. I have been running a whole minute per mile faster than I normally run. For those of you who have, who have run in here, you'll know that a minute per mile is a huge difference, particularly over 14 and a half miles. And that whole middle section and in portion of the race, I was in dire straits and I felt terrible. But most of all, in my head, I was angry. I was angry at the course directors. I was angry at myself for, for pushing too hard when I shouldn't have been pushing so hard. I was wondering if I was going to even be able to run the whole race thinking back to what had happened, the mistake that had been made. And indeed, I struggled. And about 13.4 miles, I had to slow down to a walk. I was gassed. I was spent. But the real problem that I had, the real reason why I struggled in the half marathon was because I focused on the wrong stuff. Where were my eyes set? Where was my mindset? It was not on the race that I had ahead of me, but it was on what had already happened. It was on the injustice that I had faced. It was on the suffering that I had been through. It was on complaining and bitterness. And I struggled in the race and almost failed to complete the race. I was focused on the wrong things, on the wrong stuff. For us as Christians in our life, what are we focused on? Are we focused on how hard the struggle is, how hard the race is? Are we focused on what we've already had to go through? Are we focused on the injustice that we face in the world around us? If so, guess what? You're not setting yourself up to win. You are not taking on endurance. Endurance is not found in setting your mind on those things, but setting our mind on Christ, who is not only our example, but also our hope. The beautiful and ever necessary fact that we must keep in mind is the fact that Christ, being the founder and perfecter of our faith, has perfectly lived the Christian life. In his active obedience during his time here on this earth, he lived the life that we could never live. And he died the death that we deserve. And we can have hope, we can have assurance in the midst of this 
often daunting task of running the race that is set before us. And we can do so. We can run the race that we've been called to because we know that our righteousness is found in him. That his active obedience, his living the Christian life in perfect obedience and perfect faith is credited to our account. His active obedience and his righteousness has been counted to us. Now we have been granted the gift of running, knowing that victory is ours. Now run in light of it. It is this Savior that we fix our eyes on, both as our example and as our hope, and as our courage, and as our assurance. As we come to a close this morning, I want to make clear before we leave this place exactly how we are able to do this. Because in a sermon on sanctification, in a sermon on holiness, it is so easy to begin to look inward, to begin to think, I need to do better. I need to try harder. Me, me, me. And the text does tell us correctly that we are to look to Christ as our leader and as our supreme example of, li- of a life of faith. But in Romans 8, 10 and 12, we see that even more clearly, not only are we to look to Christ as our example, but we are to see how we are able to run the race that is set before us and how we can do so and finish well. As Paul says in Romans 8, 10 and 12, but if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give to your mortal bodies through his spirit, give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is good news, folks, that as we run this race, as we seek sanctification and holiness, and as we set our eyes on Jesus Christ, the founder and perfecter of our faith, we do so in what power? In a power found in us? Heck no. We do so in the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells us. The same power by which Christ was raised from the dead dwells in us. And it is through him that we have life and have the ability to run. One of the most amazing things about the race that we are called to run is that we are not simply called to run the race, but we are given the ability to run the race. Until the Holy Spirit does his work, until we have been regenerated and filled with the Holy Spirit and dwelt by him and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, then we cannot run the race. It's been said that many people use Jesus Christ, use the gospel as a crutch. There was one pastor one time that said, yeah, my legs are broken. I need a crutch. I need help. You know why? I can't run the race unless he helps. Apart from the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit granting us the power to run, we cannot run. When we think back to the analogy of Forrest Gump, it is when his, when his braces fall off, that his legs are unencumbered and freed up to run. But for us as Christians, we recognize that it is not until we put on Christ that we are able to run. It's not until we put on Christ that enables our legs to work, enables us to enter the race so that we can even run this Christian race. 
This is the good news of the gospel, that that which we are called to do here in Hebrews chapter 12, and we are called to do this, we are empowered to do by the Holy Spirit, by Jesus Christ. The fulfillment of the promises anticipated in Hebrews 11 by all those Old Testament saints, by his finished work on the cross, we are granted the ability and now called Christian run. What is it that the Lord has called us to do? What is the call that the Lord has put on our life? He has called us to run the Christian life with endurance. How do we live out this calling? By the gracious work of the Holy Spirit empowering us towards sanctification. And to what end are we to run? What is the main thing that differentiates us from, from old Forrest Gump? Is that we run for the goal of the prize of the upward call, as Paul says. The prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We run so that we might hear the Lord say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. This is how we run. And this is how we are granted the ability to run in Christ Jesus. So church family, let us run. Let us not lose heart. Let us not lose courage. Let us look to Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith, and let us run with endurance. Let's pray.